Welcome back to the Strength and Speed Podcast. I'm your host, Conquer the Gauntlet Pro, Evan Preparis. Brenna is not on the call with me this week, but we do have another guest. This week's episode is brought to you by Dry Robe. If you haven't purchased yourself a Dry Robe, definitely pick one up. They're those big coats you see with people walking around at OCR World Championships, or you see athletes wearing them after World's Toughest Mudder, or if you watch the Olympics, you saw like Michael Phelps walk around in one before he gets in the pool. Such a cool product, keeps you warm. I use mine for a blanket when I'm at home. I use it for to keep warm pre-race at races. On relay races, I wear it between laps because it keeps me warm. And then for my pit crew, I actually uses it as a sleeping bag uh, when they're at World's Toughest Mudder or Dirt Runner or any of those other 24-hour OCRs I've done in the past year. So definitely go check out Dry Rope. Uh, they also have customization options, so you can get your name, you can get logos on the back, and we got some big news coming from them in the future. So uh, keep your eyes peeled, and we will announce that later. Joining me on the podcast this week is Jarrett Newby. Uh, Jarrett is the owner slash operator of Noob Sanity Obstacle Course, located in Binghamton, New York. He was a multi-sport athlete growing up, used to run track, did motocross, a couple other things. Uh, High-level 800-meter runner, uh, was top 10 in the nation when he was in high school. Then afterwards, transitioned into OCR. He's been doing real well at OCR. Finished top six in World Toughest. Top five? What was it, Jarrett? Um, I was the seventh male at World's Toughest and sixth male at um, OCR World Short Course. So both ends of the spectrum somehow this year. Yeah. So, yeah, Jarrett, uh, welcome to the show. Thanks. I'm glad to be here listen to your podcast, um, had you come up and run the course a couple times, so um, interested to just hear what hear, hear what's going on in OCR. Yeah, we're going to talk about the course noob sanity a little bit later in the episode, but it's, I'll just give you a sneak peek about it, you know, it's in Jarrett's essentially backyard, and when I initially heard that and was going to the location, I'm like, oh, well, yeah, I don't know how this is going to go, like, a backyard OCR, but like, it's really good. Like, he has a full-size warped wall back there. You know, he's got monkey bars. He's got a traverse wall. He's got a balance beam slash traverse wall. He's got a rig back there. Like, it is awesome. It is all the quality of a normal series OCR. It just happens to be on his property. And then on top of that, across the street, is the um, Extreme Ravine, which is another, I would call it a trail race, but with, like, very hard terrain. So lots of steep inclines and descents and that's what i use for day what was it four and five of ocr america but we'll get to that later uh so jared let's start off with uh take us through some of your background and we'll go from there sure so i i think i've mentioned it but i grew up r- racing motocross playing soccer running track um what was fun was motocross soccer running what i was good at was running soccer motocross so I uh, actually had some offers to play college soccer, ended up going the track route just so I could get school paid for, went down to East Carolina University where 
I was a 800 meter specialist. And if you would have told some of my cross country teammates that I was going to go on to do 24 hour races, um, you probably could have made a lot of money making bets with them because that was absolutely not in the cards for me. Um, I complained, I think, the whole cross-country season every year, and there's just something special about OCR and the OCR community that makes you want to do those types of events. And I got into obstacle course racing. I think I saw one of my friends post about the first Tough Mudder. He just, it was all over his Facebook page. I was like, that looks super cool. It was like running plus motocross. I ended up calling up my dad, and we met somewhere in the middle. Well, I was in North Carolina. He was in New York for the the first one. They had at Raceway Park in New Jersey and was hooked on OCR after that. Cool. Well, I know before the podcast started, we were talking a little bit about some of the parallels between motocross and track and OCR. And on this podcast, we always like to pull in lessons learned and kind of comparisons from other sports because I think most problems have been solved already. They're just in another sport and we just haven't opened our eyes wide enough to realize it yet. So why don't you talk about some of the parallels you saw either you can start with motocross or track and kind of run from there. Sure. I'll start with, with track. So, um, after college I was on a post collegiate running team. I was a a part of the Indiana invaders and it was sort of Indiana invaders 2.0. So they were a team that had high level athletes. I mean, they had, U.S. track and field national champions. They had people go to the Olympics. I mean, this, you know, there were some great athletes. And I look around OCR and I see that today with some of the the pro teams that get put together where there's great athletes. But at the end of the day, you know, a a pro team needs to be something that's economically viable, whether it's it's for a series or for a you know a training venue. Um, a brand, whatever it is, and the problem that they kept running into is they would pick athletes from you know, all over the country, and they would try to stick their name on them, but you know, how many running shoes were they really selling? You know, how much stuff were they really selling for, for track and field? And when it comes to OCR, you know, we can, I think a pro team can push people towards certain races, but right now the sport's still in its infancy, and I think a lot of I think a lot of the businesses are throwing money out there and seeing where seeing what sticks and track and field went through that triathlon went through that where you have these these different corporate sponsors pushing money into the sport and then at a certain point there's there's a reckoning and they say you know I'm not sure about this and they start pulling out and the ones that are successful historically at least in track and field were ones that were tied to something so you see um, there's a group down in North Carolina. It's called Zap Fitness. So it's it's also connected to a running store. They do running camps. Um, it's it's a really great organization. They turn out some top runners. You have the the Hanson Group, which I think is tied to some um, a group of running stores in Michigan, and they turn out top marathon runners. So you ended up seeing these different track and field teams that ended up being successful, and they were a lot of them were tied to the, you know, different running stores. Yeah, you're still going to get a few people sponsored by Nike or Adidas or some of those big brands, and that's probably the the Ryan Atkins and Hobie Calls of the world. But, you know, really those are the first place people. All of a sudden, you're 
your mid-level elites or pros, they need to find a spot, and that's where these other teams come in. Um, when I was with the Invaders, I had a guy who was – he took 11th at the track and field national championships. He was a full-time police officer. I mean, that's just the economics of the sport, and I feel it's the same way in OCR right now, where if you're not winning these big events, you probably have a real job. No, that's absolutely correct. I mean, I think there's probably, I'd say there's probably less than 10 people total without a full-time job. And even those who don't have a full-time job typically have another source of income, right? So like even, you know, even Ryan has obstacle training, obstacle.training or something like that, right? His his website that he partnered with Albin and uh, Matt Murphy, and they offer training plans. So they're still getting a some sort of residual income, even though Ryan absolutely killed it this year and... <laughs> Walked away with some absurd amount of money. Um, yeah, I'd say, I'd say he's he's doing pretty well there. Yeah, and I mean that's a smart move. I think you know you don't want to you know if you have a bad year racing or you get injured and you don't have like at least a trickle of income on the side, I think you're going to be it's going to be a real stressful year. So well, absolutely. I mean, you look at the you know NFL or NBA or Major League Baseball, and you see these guys who make millions of dollars and end up going broke. So, you know, we see Ryan making, quote, a lot of money, but it's not something he's going to retire off of. So to to be building that future plan into cash in a little bit now while he's on top, that's just that's just smart. Yeah. Have you seen that ESPN documentary where they, they show the percentage of, like, basketball and football players that go declare bankruptcy? Oh, I'd, yeah, it's enormous. It's like um, it's something like fifty percent. I can't remember if it was I can't remember if it was just over fifty or just under fifty, but it's like fifty percent of these athletes who make, you know, multi million dollars within four years of leaving their sport, they they declare bankruptcy. And the average yeah. the average uh, lifespan or not lifespan, the average career length of these guys was like three to four years. You know, so they make a couple million dollars for a couple of years and then it's like, you know, they're overspending or they you know they don't realize that they have to pay taxes on the money you know or they don't realize they have to pay taxes on their house and all this other stuff and yeah yeah so i mean there's the financial literacy part and then there's i think another part that speaks more to human nature and that's you know if you're talking about a 3 or 4 year career we're used to seeing the players that you know play for 12 years and there's a retirement ceremony Peyton Manning has a press conference you're like oh that's how his career ended that's not how most people's career ends. <laughs> most of their career ends with um, not making the team. You know, they got cut, they got injured, something happened, and they went from thinking they were going to make another million dollars for the next few years to making nothing or, you know, playing in the D League somewhere. So, you know, their source of income just gets turned off. And, you know, if you're an athlete, you have to have that mindset that, you know, I'm one of the best. You know, I'm going to go out there. I, it's never the, oh, well, maybe next year I won't make the team. I better plan ahead. You know, you should do that. <laughs> but, you know, that's that's a tough mindset to have when you've literally been the best at every step along the way. You know, high school, if you play in the NFL, I guarantee you're the best guy on your team. College, you're still probably the best guy on your team. You get to the NFL, and now all of a sudden you play a couple of years and they don't watch anymore. You know, that's, that would be different. That would be tough. Yeah, I mean, you can even just think about it. I mean, how many people can name, you know, I, I mean, I don't, I don't follow NFL 
at all, really. So, but how many people can name like an entire roster of the NFL? Yeah, you know, like I think most people only know you know the quarterback, the wide receivers, the running backs, and maybe a couple of you know linemen, defensive backs, stuff like that. But you know, can you go like any backup? Name any backup that's not the backup quarterback. Yeah, exactly. There's a whole roster of them. I don't know them. Cool. So with with what you've seen at track, you know, if you ha- if you had to put your you look into your crystal ball and predict the future, what would you say a successful model is for you know developing you know athletes or the teams in OCR? I think um, I think the the model that we're going to see is going to be local based as far as getting more people out there and we can talk about that more and we get to you know noob sandy and other groups where you have a permanent obstacle course venue so you have a place where people can train um i think it's a little bit different than you know just getting a group of people that already do ocr together because that's keeping people in the sport it's not always bringing new people in and I think we have a lot of players in the in the OCR market right now at the the national and regional level, and I think that will will probably still, the competition they'll start to weed each other out over the next three to five years until until there's maybe one national series. Um, I, I just I can't picture them going head to head forever and and it working especially as, as small players come in and, and force, force the bigger companies to do it at a smaller and smaller margin. Mm. Um, you know, you look at triathlon, and yeah, there's, there's other races, but, I mean, it's Ironman. For the most part, it's Ironman. Right. Um, you look at, at running, they can get away with it because it's, you know, you have one race here, New York City Marathon. You have Chicago Marathon. You have different races across the country, and, and each is their own, um, almost like a, a permanent obstacle course venue. But there's no national running series. Um, the the local competition, everybody can do it better. Um, it just doesn't make economic sense to travel around and do that stuff. So, I mean, you you spend a lot of money taking down obstacles every week, putting up obstacles every week. Um, they're just really good at marketing. And and to me, I think of, you know, my, my background in pro motocross. I was a pro motocross race official. And in a way, it's sort of like being a part of the carnival. A carnival. You know, every week you're traveling to a new spot and you're setting up and you're bringing people in. So, I don't know, that, that's just sort of my, my feeling when it comes to where OCR is going to go. I think there'll be a consolidation of the number of series. You'll see people continuously trying to pop up and get in on it, but more or less people will go out of business or merge and we'll end up with maybe a more unified national series and a few local events here and there. Right on. What about, um, let's talk about motocross now. I know you kind of touched on it briefly just now, but you know what? What kind of lessons learned, or you know, the future of the sport? Can we pull out of motocross compared to OCR? I think with motocross, I think with motocross, they do a fantastic job at um, selling the sport. So when you show up to one of the events, it 
it's entertainment, you know, for everyone there. And the whole day is set up along that. You know, you have practice in the morning, you have qualifiers, you get to watch the race. Um, every OCR race that we go to, who runs first? The elites, except for three K World Championships. Yeah, and who's there to see it? Nobody. Nobody. Um, and the, and I understand that the reason they do it is because they don't want people to get stuck behind other people. But it's actually pretty cool to watch the elites race. You know, if there was a way to make that happen where you didn't have to show up at six o'clock in the morning and you know wait and go through check in and not you know okay cool I saw Ryan Atkins finish, but well, you missed it all. <laughs> you missed it all because we're already done. So I, I think that's one lesson learned. And another one would be how they do prize payouts currently at OCR. Um, they do it. They're stingy. They are extremely stingy. And I think the reason is they look at running and they see running as a comparable sport and they say, okay, um, if you go to a local 5K, you don't get very much money or you don't get any money. Instead of looking at other sports and saying, you know, what do we need to do to pay out to get people to come to our races? At a local motocross race, what they typically do is, you know, if you race the expert class, you don't get a trophy. You don't get all this stuff because you're there for the money. Um, so as a event organizer, you save money there. But you put it back into the cash purse, and you know what you're getting into, and they typically pay out one to four or one to five. So it's for every four people that sign up, you know, the purse is going to go up a little bit, and they're going to pay back a little bit more. Plus, you get some sponsors in there, and it it turns out you can get some some decent payouts. And if so, the prize money the prize money actually flex based on the number of uh, registrations. Interesting, and we're. We're actually one of our races this year. We're gonna we're gonna bring that to OCR. We'll do a we'll do a one to four payout, and I, I think it makes more sense. Um, just with OCR, you know, there is a lot of extra expenses when you think of, you know, how much a nice medal costs, how much a nice T-shirt is. I mean, not the the cheapest bomb of the barrel scratchy T-shirt that you can get, but a nice T-shirt. As a race promoter, that that costs money and um, if we, if you can put that towards the prize money, um, you know, it, it grows with, as more people sign up and you let people know that more people are signing up and all of a sudden it's it kind of like seeing the Powerball number go up. People that normally wouldn't play the lottery go, man, I got to go to this one. So I've seen it happen in motocross. We're going to try it in OCR this year and I hope some other people hear this podcast and say, you know, that sounds like it's it's worth a shot. And I think it'll be it'll be better for the sport and the athletes competing in it if we if we try that route. Cool. Uh, and it's pretty good input there. Yeah, and and I'd say one more thing. It's not the same payout structure that sometimes you see where it's so top heavy. So you see, is it the the toughest eight hour where they pay out five? First place is like five grand, and fifth place is two hundred and fifty bucks. Like, come on. That's... I I agree with that. I, I always feel like I'm just – I'm not quite first, but I, I have a lot more seconds and thirds than I do firsts. And I always yeah. I always feel like I get screwed on some of those. Like, I've been to 
I've been to one race where they said, um, you know, prize for first is $1,000. Prize for second and third is to be determined. On race yeah. day, they, they to be de- I came in second. On race day, they to be determined it was $0 and nothing special. And I was like, livid. I was like, mother, come on. So I had that happen at a local race. Um, I showed up and it, they had this poster and it said cash prize and they had like a picture of a, like a cup on it, like a trophy you're going to win. I was like, okay, like maybe I can win some money. So I, I showed up and I won and they didn't pay out a cash prize. And the trophy I got looked like a shot glass. I'm not someone that cares much about trophies, but the fact they had already stiffed me on prize money, um, made the fact that the picture of the trophy was bigger than the one I got. Um, <laughs> um it was just one of those things that I think happens in OCR as it's starting off where you don't know what's a serious event and what's not. So you, you sign up and you go and you're like, man, that was terrible. Um, and I think that makes it tough for some of us independent obstacle courses sometimes where somebody puts on a really terrible local one. Someone goes to it, has a bad time because it, it sucks. And then they say, I'm not going to do that again. I'll pay an extra little bit to go to Spartan Race or Tough Mudder because I know what I'm going to get there. Right. Well, let's let's dive into it. I know, like I already said, your course is awesome. So for those who haven't been there, kind of describe it to us, and then we'll go into some of the events that you put on throughout the year. Sure. So we, um, I live in upstate New York. I am a country bumpkin, so my wife and I have a house next to my my dad's house, and between our property and his property, we have roughly 200 acres, and we started off um, just building a few obstacles to train for World's Toughest Mudder. Um, I've done World's Toughest Mudder four times. My dad's done it five times now, and when it started off, it was just, you know, run up a hill. You know, we'd, we'd pick up a rock and do curls. We, we had a ladder in a tree. I mean, just just some stuff that you might actually picture when you picture backyard OCR. But luckily, you know, I've had some experience in sports management. My dad has owned a construction company for 30 years. So as we went to races and we saw an obstacle that was really cool or we struggled with something, we'd always come back and brainstorm and say, like, how do we build that But make it noob sanity, you know, make it our own, make it maybe a little different or challenging. So over time, we have a course that's a little over a 5K now. We have a ton of obstacles packed in there, you know, everything from a a 15-foot quarter pipe. I think the reason we built it 15 feet was at the time Ninja Warrior was 14 feet, so we made it one foot taller just just because we're those people. We have a, a 32-foot-long grip rig that we set up lanes that are ridiculously hard for, the, for, the, for our expert people. For all of our obstacles, there's like a, quote, Noob Sandy lane. That's going to be the hardest. We'll have a, a medium lane, and then we'll have an easy lane. And we really want to challenge people on some of this stuff. I think you saw the lane that we set up when you came up there. I mean, it looks like something out of Ninja Warrior. And I think if you challenge people, they're going to come back to your course. And also, when you train on something like that and you go to another event, all of a sudden it's easy. We had 
seven people at OCR Worlds this year. Everyone kept their band in every race. Um, they got to their rigs. They zipped through that. That was a rest for them. Um, so just over time, we've built a course that, even though it's, quote, in my backyard, I think it, the obstacles go toe-to-toe with any of the national brands. Yeah, absolutely. I can attest to that. And one of the things, you mentioned it, but the multiple difficulty lanes, one of the things I thought was the coolest about your rig was, you know, the Noob Sanity lane was super hard. It was a lot of nunchucks and all sorts of other grips. The kind of the medium lane, you know, I think it had a lot of rings. And then the easy lane, you know, you could still do it. It was like what you guys had set up when I was there was basically like a like a balance beam type thing. It was like a floating balance beam. So, mm-hmm. like, while technically it was easy, like, it actually took longer to get across. Absolutely. And that's what we do for all of them is if it's easier, it's self-penalizing in the sense of it's going to take you longer to do it. Um and actually, now our easy lane is a combination of that and um, I'd say a tribute to the Indian mud run floating walls. So if anybody had trouble with that, that's our retry lane. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're, even on some of the other obstacles like the walls, I remember you had uh, like one of them was like two eight-foot walls and the other one was like four, whatever, five-foot walls. So there was, you know, the... You could go to the harder wall and get over it faster, or the shorter walls and kind of you'd have to do the motion repetitively. So I thought that was absolutely. Also cool. And I think for us, that's not just a you know way to make it fair in the race because I am not a go do burpees person. I am all about trying to make it even at the obstacle, and if not, then some sort of small penalty loop. But but definitely no burpees. Um, but I think it's also, it also speaks to what we do in the community that we've started to build here. And I think what people can do other places and help grow the sport. And by having multiple difficulties, we have our course open for training, you know, on some weeknights, on the weekends. And if you're showing up for the first time and, you know, maybe you just run 5Ks, maybe you don't work out at all, but you heard about this, it looks fun and you show up and the only obstacle option is to hammer up a 15-foot quarter pipe, it's not going to be fun. Um, So having the different options lets people get acclimated to obstacles. Um, They can try them. They still have that same sense of accomplishment when they do them for the first time, Um, and we're just as excited for them. And as they progress in their OCR journey, they're able to continuously move up difficulty levels till they're at a point where, you know, they're not they're not worried about any obstacle at any race. Yeah, for those of you listening, their quarter pipe had, I think the hard lane had nothing on it. It's just straight up the wall. The medium lane had a couple of short ropes hanging down, and then the easy lane had like a cargo net uh, hanging down a little bit even further. So it was I thought it was pretty doable, almost regardless of your. Uh, physical ability as long as you could you know as long as you could run through to the wall pretty much so correct um and and that's i think that's good for the sport and i've i i work with a ton of people that are just getting into ocr and as excited as elite racers might be you know of making it through a super hard rig at conquer the gauntlet or ocr worlds to to someone who's just new to OCR, to to make it up, you know, 
our quarter pipe on the cargo net side, you know, that that's a a life changing moment for them. Like, not exaggerating, you know, that's the moment where they say, like, you know, this exercise thing, like, I can do this. Like, this is something that I want to do. I want to be good at this. You know, I'm going to do a, a tough mutter by the end of the year, or I'm going to do a savage race by the end of the year, and you know, they're starting to have those little wins. Yeah, you have a great crew, and you've built a great community around your obstacle course. We've had Logan Nagel, number 19 from the selection, previously on this podcast. Uh, we got Dan Kosick, who we're going to put on. We haven't actually recorded that episode yet, but uh, we're going to schedule a podcast with him. And then I know you've got some other uh, great athletes. You want to give us a quick shout-out to a couple of them? Sure. So, you know, you, you mentioned some of the people on the, the men's side, on our women's side. We have um, Sarah Corba. She she does a lot of Spartan races. In fact, she won the women's elite down at um, Pittsburgh this year. So hats off to her. And she's, you know, if she's not on the podium, she's at least in their back pocket at pretty much any OCR race she goes to. We have Jen Reese. She's another spartan competitor and she's in the masters class she has enough of those first place wooden plaques they had that we joked we were going to turn them into kitchen cabinets for her um i I don't know how many she has it's it's a lot we have meg julian she does like um she's like the obstacle she's one of our obstacle specialists i'd say she she won a terrain race this year she podiumed at savage race and any of the crazy grip lanes that we put up, she makes it through them. So um, any mandatory completion races, she's going to be in there. Kept her band at Worlds, obviously. We have Katie Teeter, who who will be back this year. She won a, a women's pro for, for Battle Frog a couple of years ago. This season, she was she was out. She had a a future, a little baby, future OCR athlete, and she's working right now to to get back into it. And let's see, I think we have a couple couple up and comers just to to put on your radar for next year when they start doing well. I'm going to say, I told you so. So we have a a female athlete at our course this year who's signed up for some OCR races next year that I think is really going to turn some turn some heads. Um, her name's Jereen, so be on the lookout for her. And then we have a, a male who is going to be doing some distance OCR races, Jack Kuhn. And he has only done Noob Sandy races up to this point. But, Evan, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it, put it out there to you as someone to be concerned about. But anytime we do a long workout, um, he's either right behind me or in front of me when we've done like six or eight hour workout days, um, sometimes he just beats me straight up and I've been trying to get him to go to a race for the last couple of years, but he just, he just has fun training. Um, <laughs> and this year he's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing some of those races. I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> here we go. Well, so. when I got to go, when I went to Noob Saturday, I got to meet all the people except for the new ones you mentioned and I'm yep. friends with them on Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that. And, I know, like, Meg puts out, you know, training tips and stuff like that. So definitely good people to look up if you're looking for OCR athletes to give you some inspiration. Yeah, uh, and she even does some online training. She's a she's a personal trainer. So, I mean, 
I know there's a lot of people out there that offer that stuff, but if you're if you're looking, you know, she understands what it takes, and I think sometimes, you know, how a woman goes after that and, and needs to train, you know, it's helpful when you, you know, have another woman that can relate to you where, you know, for me, I, you know, I'm a guy, I've, I've, I've never had to, to deal with some of the things that she goes through when she gets, she's on a course and she's at a grip rig and she's like, I can make the whole rig, but I'm not tall enough to get to the first one. So like just the little tricks that she has to, you know, get up there and, and be tall enough to, to get going across things. Yeah, no, absolutely. And they have a, a different way of thinking about it also. When we did, we just came back from the Conquer the Gauntlet Pro Team takeover of Conquer Fitness in Tulsa, Oklahoma this past weekend. And when we were going over obstacle technique, we actually broke apart the women's and men's to go over technique because, you know, I think, for at least for me, for like guys, I'm just like, well, just, you know, just get stronger, just like be stronger. Just, just pull yourself up. I don't understand what the problem is, you know. And they're they're much better at being like, all right, well, you know, you know, you can't use the support structure on this eight foot wall, but you can use. There's like a center beam that's you know keeping the wall steady. So like you can kick off that, you know. And that's stuff that I typically don't think of because I typically just I just man over it, right? Yeah, you either jump over it or do some sort of crazy muscle up, and you're like, oh, I made it to that side. And yeah. I've I've actually found. You know, by working with her and working with some of my other athletes, I've become more efficient, um, and it's really helped me out at the longer races. I found that at, at World's Toughest this year, you know, if I'm just doing one lap, yeah, I'm going to save one second by just manhandling through it. But if it's a long race and I I need to conserve my energy, by watching them, I've actually gotten better, you know, instead of... I'll use a wall for an example. Instead of just jumping up and doing like a, a muscle-up thing over the wall, you know, it's more of the jump and roll and flip over the wall, and it's almost no energy. You're engaging a lot of core muscles, and then you're back down on the other side, you know, really without taxing much of your arms so that when you have the next grip obstacle, which was at world's toughest, you know, you're fresh for it when you need it. You didn't waste your grip on a wall. Now, absolutely. I 100% learned a lot of that when I did OCR America and all my muscles were shot. And I was like, all right, I guess better figure out how to get over this wall. Otherwise, I'm going to be standing here for a long time. So yeah. that I, uh, has to be one of the craziest things anyone has done. So I, I give you so much credit for that. You know, you, you showed up. You had already done, what, 75 miles of obstacles by the time you got to to our house and then you cranked out another couple marathons over two days i was tired <laughs> from a, a day and a half of trying to keep up with you and i didn't have to drive across the country in between it so um, that's that's just a whole nother level of crazy well, well thank you and, and then on a, from a personal note you ran with me pretty much the entire second day at extreme ravine so um yeah. it, i was feeling pretty rough that day, day. Go ahead. Yeah, I was feeling pretty rough that day, so I was glad uh, we had some company, and I remember having a lot of good talks with you on the trail about the future of the sport and some of the stuff we're discussing now, and you recommended a couple of books to me, which I ended up downloading and listening to, uh, The Drunkard's Walk and some other stuff that was really good. So, Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nerd in my free time, so for anyone listening, that's a, just a book about statistics, 
and how human nature is to to misinterpret randomness in our lives for actual patterns and and other silly things which sounds stupid but um i could i could relate that to obstacle stuff too i mean i i think any of the math and science when you look at how it describes human nature people make those same mistakes you know when it comes to their racing or training all the time um i know there's a lot like for example there's a lot of science behind what we do in obstacle racing or how you train for it but i think so many people get caught up in magic numbers you know where they're i have to do this many sets i have to go and do this and and at the end of the day they they end up maybe not working out or not doing everything that they think they can because they've given themselves such a, a strict and strict and regimented program instead of having a more of a simple simple flexible program um yeah i'll stop rambling now but <laughs> go on one of the things I'm going to jump back a little bit. One of the things you mentioned was, uh, you know, a couple of your Noob Sandley athletes are just off the podium. And I know you have a pretty funny ritual when you're not on the podium. Sure. So can you describe what you do when you are in fourth, fifth, or, you know, 50th place? Um, what I typically do, um, once everybody's gone, I don't want to steal the spotlight from the people who were actually on the podium and deserved it, but I will... I'll stand like next to the podium where fourth or where fifth place would be, say if it was an eight person podium and I'll just, I'll kind of stand there and, you know, make a frowny face, give a thumbs up. And it's especially funnier when one of my other athletes does make it. So I'll stick them on the podium and then I'll stand off to the side and be like, Hey, this is, this is where I'd be. Um, I I love that. I I think that's a, such a funny tradition, and to, it, it, like it gets funnier the lower ranked you are, but like still kind of within visible sight of the podium. So yeah, you just you, you got to make sure you're at least top twenty. Because if not, you're you could just probably take a selfie in the parking lot and be like, well, this is about where I'd be um, compared to the podium. We somehow I don't know how this got started. My other tradition is. No, I'm not always just off the podium. Sometimes I do well and I, you know, I pick up a little bit of prize money, make it onto the podium and and somehow this turned into I end up buying ice cream for everybody in the Noob Sandy group who's there. So someone will someone will google the closest ice cream stand and we'll drive there and I'll buy the ice cream. And I don't know how that happened, but they all joke around. They're like, oh, "I'm going to get this kind, dad." I'm like, okay, that's fine. Like, I want mine with sprinkles. I'm like, okay, yeah. So usually because of the number of people that come from my group and them not paying out prize money um, <laughs> in a way that's, that's even across the podium, usually I blow all my prize money on, on ice cream. So, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Take that, Ryan Atkins. <laughs> See what a 50,000 – yeah, I wonder if $50,000, I mean, he could have bought everybody at World's Toughest Mother and ice cream. Yeah, so selfish that he didn't do that. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't Ryan, understand. we're calling you out. We would like our ice cream cone, and so would everybody else who did World's Toughest Mother. I'll have to remember to uh, tag him in this podcast. I'm not I'm not 100% sure that he listens to me. but. Well, 
we'll know if we get ice cream or not, right? That's I think true. That's how it yeah. works. I mean, if we get ice cream, then we know he listens to this. Um, well, All right. I, he, I know you've had guy. some. Yeah, I know you had some other gr- great uh, events at your compound besides just OCRs. I know you do a team challenge, and then you've also done what I you've been told. What I've been told is the worst birthday ever. So let's go over the worst birthday ever, and then we'll go talk about your team challenge. Sure. So we we do something called worst birthday ever, and it sprung up from being a permanent obstacle course venue, sometimes people rent us out for actual birthday parties or bachelor parties, corporate things. And essentially in those scenarios, you're trying to make the customer happy. But somehow I came up with this idea. It was called worst birthday ever. And it was essentially you'd come up and have a birthday and it would be totally free, but I got to pick everything that you got to do. So I finally got somebody to do it last year, and I don't think he knew what he was getting into. I had been pitching it for a whole year, and it was in November in upstate New York. They showed up at 12.01, just after midnight, on his birthday, and essentially I was just mean to him for like eight hours, and then at the end of it, we do a five-mile run to a breakfast place near us, and since it was his birthday, he had to buy me pancakes. So <laughs> it's it's a free event unless you quit. If you quit, you owe me 50 bucks for wasting my time. And some of the perks of being in it are um, you get to be in it. I don't know if that's a perk or not. For OCR people, it might be. I'll go into <laughs> some of the things we did during it. And then you get a free T-shirt. But if you quit, you don't get to keep your T-shirt. I mean, this is a finisher shirt only. And to ensure that, we actually um, have a ceremonial shirt burning if you end up quitting. <laughs> so to quit, you have to you have to be a part of burning your own shirt. And this actually happened last year. So one of, one of our friends has a has the ashes of a shirt in a Ziploc bag. So essentially last time we did worst birthday ever, it starts out, we give a few rules just to make it fun. Things like if you say happy birthday, the birthday boy has to do a, has to stop and do one burpee. Now one burpee is not a lot, but I can tell you when you're carrying a rec bag around the course and you just picked it up and then one of your, your friends decides to be a jerk and say, oh, happy birthday you got to sit down, do one burpee. As soon as you pick it back up, one of your other friends tells you, happy birthday. Um, and that would usually continue on for a while. We, Over the course of eight hours, we probably covered, I don't know, 20 or 25 miles. We ran our obstacle course a bunch of times. We had a few different games that we played during it. Most of them involved the birthday person um, falling into the water at some point. We ran the extreme ravine. The birthday guy... He forgot his gloves for this whole event, so we made him build this big, giant snowman with no gloves, and then once he built it, we decided we didn't want it there. He actually had to carry it up the hill, so he had to pick up the giant snowballs and and take them up the hill, but that ended up being worst birthday ever, and (laughs) to end it, we told him they were doing... You know, it was a pancake breakfast. So the five-mile run, 
turned out to actually be a five-mile heavy carry with something that we call a noob sandy snake. It's a big log, but it's cut up with a rope through it. So there's more pieces than there are people carrying it. So there's always like a piece hitting you in the back of the head, which isn't fun. But unlike a regular log carry, it goes up and down, so everybody ends up carrying their own fair share. So we start going. There's some big hills, and about halfway, I had my dad pull up with his truck. You know, they were just broken physically, mentally at that point. They see him, and my dad gets out, and he's like, you didn't think we were going to make you carry this the whole way. Someone's like, oh, my, thank God, thank God. They throw the, the snakes in the back of the truck. One of them looks at me. He goes, I was actually going to quit. He goes, I, this is, I can run, but I, I couldn't do that anymore. I was actually going to quit. Well, little did he know, my dad pulled up the road about 100 yards, got out, threw the stuff out of his truck, and then said, there, you didn't have to carry it the whole way. So those were now, the types of, types of things that we did for worst birthday ever. And we have another one coming up in February. The next victim's going to be one of our noob sanity members can carry and i can tell you that we'll borrow some of the ideas but we already have a whole bunch of new ideas that i don't want to share right now just because i don't want to spoil them but afterwards i'll send some videos to you so you can post them to the people that are listening and i'm sure if they're into ocr and um, suffering for no good reason they'll get a kick out of these videos so can anyone contact you and ask for their worst birthday ever Anyone can contact me and request a worst birthday ever. I will tell you, um, not everybody gets picked. It has to be a weekend that, that I'm free, that we don't have stuff going on at the course. And just in general, um, we only do so many a year, usually one or two. So it's sort of luck of the draw if you get picked. But if that sounds like it would be fun, Feel free to contact me. What you get is it's you, and you get to pick six friends that do it with you. Again, it's totally free. Anybody that quits, it's $50 per person that quits. <laughs> and um, in addition to that, if you want to bring other people, we're fine with that. But the other people aren't following you around. Essentially, they're having a fun time and partying. So we'll usually set up like a bonfire, and they're hanging out. They bring their own food. Maybe they bring your favorite drink. So as we keep parading you around and you come back every hour or two, they're like sirens luring you to the rocks. They're trying to get you to, to quit. Like, hey, man, you could just stop right now. It only costs $50 to stop. <laughs> it only costs $50. I um, love that. And all, all you got to do is you just got to quit. And then you can hang out with us. You can have food. You can, you know. We'll go get pancakes in the morning. You don't even have to buy them pancakes if you quit. So it's kind of fun to be the friends who maybe would say, I would never sign up for eight hours of birthday torture, but would want to sign up for trying to get their friend to quit. <laughs> so it's kind of something for everybody. That's nice. Uh, yeah. Before we go, uh, you also do a team event, so I can then find Noob Sanity and you online. Okay, so our team event, we we do a four-person team, and for this particular team event, 
it's a mixture of our obstacle course, obviously. We have some, some of the course we'll call our wilderness section. In the wilderness section, the trail isn't marked traditionally. There's just ribbons here and there, and you've got to find your own way. We don't care how you get there, but there's some token stops along the way, so we make sure you hit the right checkpoints. And then there's mental challenges. So we we come up with things that you need to work together with your team to complete. It's not always the fastest and strongest, but it's who can think through a problem, come up with a solution, and then execute. Obviously, most of them still have um, they have a a physical component to them, but it evens out the race. And we get we get a bunch of teams up here for that. It's a blast. I think this year the winning team was about three hours. So even though they covered maybe eight to ten miles, we really pack it full of obstacles and challenges. And for anybody that's looking for that, they can check out our website. It's www.noobsanity.com, and that's N-E-W-B Sanity. My last name's Newbie, so if you knew me or know my family, the term Noob Sanity likes, makes a lot more sense. And you can also check us out on Facebook or Instagram. There's a ton of pictures from our course and our group that you can go and check out. And I think one one thing I would just want to share since I have the, the forum on this podcast would just be I see a lot of, you know, groups online where people are looking for other OCR people to train with in their area. And I understand if you're not within a 50-mile radius of Binghamton, New York, I'll probably never see you for a training session. But hopefully I'll see you out at the races somewhere. And again, hopefully you can learn from some of the things that we're doing. I think if you are passionate about OCR and you start training, other people will follow you. And the keys to that are to pick a consistent time and location and, and just put it out there to your local OCR community, whether it's at a park or someone has some property that you can use and just say, we're going to start working out every Sunday morning from this time to this time, and we're you know, training for obstacle course races. Um, I've seen a group recently start up in Buffalo, New York. It's the one Buffalo OCR group, and they went from I never heard of them at the beginning of this summer to they have an awesome crew up there now, and it's essentially by following the hey, we're just going to show up and start doing this, and people are going to start coming because OCR is awesome. So if that's you and you're looking for people to train with, don't wait to find somebody. Just start training, and people are going to find you. I think that's great advice. We had Lucas Fonensteel on the podcast earlier uh, a couple episodes ago, and he he basically did the same thing with Casey, Kansas City OCR. So they train pretty much every Saturday at 7 o'clock at uh, Wyco Park. And then every Thursday at 7 p.m. at Apex Climbing Gym, right? So consistent times, they're always there. And even when you know the little group leader is not there, there's typically some other athletes there. And then on top of that, they um, what was I gonna say? Yeah, they just they've been consistent about it. And it started off with like just Steve and just Lucas showing up, and then it turns into you know we've had training sessions where people from uh, Nebraska came down. We've had like 30 people sometimes. Usually it's around 10 though, but 
Uh, it's yeah. you'll see different faces every week, which is kind of cool. So. And that's that's what we experienced the first time I did a Wednesday workout. That's the day of the week where we get our biggest turnout is actually a Wednesday night because we've been doing it the longest. It started off, it was me, like three other people, four other people. Um, they maybe heard about it through Facebook. The next week we had a few more, and it's been three years now. And this past season we consistently got 40 to 70 people for Wednesday night to come up and work out of all ability levels. And I think what I'm most proud of is most of these people weren't people that were already doing OCR. They were people that um, wanted to go out and do something fun and couldn't find what they wanted to do vocally. They didn't want to just run. They didn't want to just lift. You know, they, they wanted something where they got a community aspect, and I think that's where OCR comes in. You know, it's it's working out and it's suffering, but in a, that weird way, you're all in it together, and it's it just that's what our sport can be. Yeah, you've really built a great community around Noob Sanity. Uh, you hashtag Seeing Red. You'll see all their posts with all of their uh, red jerseys and stuff like that. And when I did OCR America, like the you know, I had this vision in my mind of what it would look like on the day of the actual event. And the Noob Sanity ones were, it was what, what I pictured. You know, there was a large group of athletes there. You know, I'd have like two or three run with me at a time, sometimes five. But then there was other people there training and just kind of doing their own thing and having a good time. And it was just a, I don't know, that was like, it's really what I pictured. And it was cool to actually see it into fruition. And, you know, thank you so much on a personal note, again, for not only pacing me, but opening up your course and your your home to me for those two days. It was uh great experience and i do want to make it back up there at some point you know how ocr is with the number of races and trying to schedule stuff so um we'll see when i make it up there yeah again. well maybe our well maybe when we do our our money race this year where we we do a better payout it's going to be an ultra race so um i'll let you know and if you can make it maybe you can ruin somebody's weekend by <laughs> placing <laughs> placing just in front of them Will do. Um, and then on a, a side note, you were my – so when they announced 3K Championships in 2016, you know, and everyone's, like, making their picks on who's going to do real well, I was like, I'm picking Jarrett. He's a dark horse, <laughs> you know, and t- I know 2016 didn't go so well. You got stuck at the uh, Samurai uh, Platinum Rig. But I was glad I was glad that I was justified this year because you crushed it. So I was so happy to see you up near the – you know, in the top 10 in the 3K for the pros. Yeah. Well, I was – I was psyched about that. I was bummed that it happened to me in, in 16. I just, you know, made a mistake on the samurai obstacle. And for as much as I didn't want it to happen to me, I was excited that it did and that it took out a lot of racers in the same way that the, the rigs and the rain got some people this year. It's the world championships. If people in the pro heat aren't failing, the obstacles aren't hard enough. Um, it, it's an obstacle course race. So, again, you never want it to be you, but, you know, for the sport, I was kind of happy that happened. Um, and this year I was I was glad to be on the the side that made it through and put down a fast time and going to train for 2018. We'll see what I can do. I don't know how they're going to do OCR Worlds, but if you're, you're listening, I know this year um, they seeded the first heat based on how people finished 
the previous year, and hopefully they'll do the same thing this year, and I'll have a chance to to be in the fast heat. I feel like I've earned it, and when you're actually racing head-to-head against these people, um, it's a lot easier to, to pace yourself and stick with them instead of being in the middle of the pack, and they say go when you caught the next group within the first you know, K of the race, and you're like, am I going good? Am I going slow? You just don't know. So will we see you at NAOCRC and OCR World Championships in the UK this year? Um, we're we're hoping. Um, definitely OCR North America, and I'm I'm kind of waiting on the World Championships to find out how they're going to to seed people. Obviously, I wanna wanna make sure I earn it, make sure I'm in the right shape to go after it. But I think after a a sixth place this year from basically a of middle of the pack start, you know, being, I, I think I was the eighth wave in or something. I think I've earned a spot in one of the first couple waves where I can go head to head against the people that ended up on the podium and see what I can do. But that's a long trip to be a, a middle start wave. Yeah. I'll, uh, next time I talk to Adrian, I'll, I'll drop that bug in his ear. To let them know that that, okay. that was a good idea, and uh, that's the way they should do it. And I, I completely agree. Well, it, I know the even for something like it, Tough Mudder, yeah, I know they the way they kind of let people pick pit spaces was based off toughest. And I, I thought that was like, you know, I thought that was good that you could qualify through the eight hour, but I also thought it was stupid that you couldn't qualify, you know, from last year's placement. So, uh, absolutely. And if you, and I think on that note. I don't mind if it's something different, but just make it something that everybody has a chance to qualify for. You know, it shouldn't be based off of, you know, who are the big names that people already know about, because if it is, it's just a self-fulfilling prophecy. Of course, those people are going to do good. You have a better chance of doing good from the first heat when you're racing the best people. If you're at world's toughest and you have a best pit spot, it does help some. Granted, that's a 24-hour race. You have a lot of time to make up. But if you're running a extra two or three hundred meters in the pits every time, that's gonna that's gonna hurt you in the long run. Speaking of that, just while we're on the podcast, um, how would you fix the mad rush to get signed up at World's Toughest Mudder and get the pit space? Like, what do you think of this year compared to previous years? What would you do? differently what you like what you didn't like uh i mean i thought the like having an elite check-in and then a contender check-in and then a regular check-in was good i think they need to even break it up a little bit more you know whether that be expanding you know who's elite or expanding who's contender and open and then you know on top of that maybe add in some you know separating criteria within that um the I think the, what they really should do is do what True Grid Enduro 2.4 does and what Battlefrog 24 Extreme did, which was – and the same thing that they did in 2014, which is like the pit actually is part of the course. So part of the five miles is the pit area you have to run through. So that way everyone yep. – not everyone, but there's like you know 200 people with a first row spot and there's 200 people with a second row spot, you know 200 people with a third row spot, and that – that really reduces it because then you're like, all right, well, you know, if I'm at the front of the pit, then I, you know, as soon as I cross the finish line, I, I can go to my tent. And if I'm at the back end of the kind of windy path, then, you know, still same things, you know, I'm right there on the start line, on the uh, 
start line there. So I think those are two fixes. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I liked it better when it snaked through. I think the other thing, just with them being a large enough company, what I would love to see instead of having a mad dash for your pit space on race day, I mean, if you're planning that event out, you know the the pit is going to be square square spaces and take a little bit of extra time on the front end to to plan it out you don't have to have the whole course finalized but you can hopefully plan out where the pit area is going to be and you can grid out where the pit spots are going to be and i don't know if they could put it together but i don't think it would be that hard programming wise to have like a almost like an online check-in like you pick a seat in an airline Mm. Like, imagine if it was, hey, the elite people on, you know, August 10th, you know, you get to to go online and, and pick your spot. And, you know, just it could be broken out over more time because I don't care at World's Toughest that I got checked in first. The only reason that I show up an hour early for check-in and probably everybody else is they want a better pit spot. So it either needs to be fixed by the the way they design it or – try to figure out a different way to to get people assigned to pit spots early so you're just showing up and saying hey this is the spot i already registered for instead of hey i just just got my bib you know let's speed as fast as i can across the desert parking lot so i can try to get a, a pit spot that's somewhat near the the course i like that online check-in thing the i wonder if it's a big enough problem for them to put that much effort into it but, um, I don't think it would be that much effort when you think – I don't know if they still use it, but they used Eventbrite for a long time for the back end of some of their registering. And Eventbrite is essentially a, a ticketing platform. Yes, they use it really well for events. I know we use it for events that we put on just as a way for people to, to buy a ticket. But I'm pretty sure Eventbrite also has some some ticketing built into it you know, for the concert venues that they work with and some of the other um, non-athletic-related events where having a specific seat matters. So it's already there. I mean, someone I don't think you'd have to build it at Tough Mudder. You just need to pick the right partner or app to do your to do your check-in and have the planning ahead of time yeah. to know what your pit space is going to be. That's where I would be concerned would they be able to do that i know just with what we set up at a course that is in our backyard all the time that it's it's always a mad scramble coming to event day but i think if they put a priority into that they would save time and money based on the headaches and staffing that they need at registration they could probably save money by reducing that staffing and using that money towards a solution like an online check-in that lets you pick a pit spot. You sold me. I'm, I'm, I'm sold. Sold. I think, I think it's a great idea. I mean, yeah, like you said, let's, let's tag um, Ryan Atkins and Will Dean in this podcast. <laughs> make sure we get our free ice cream and um, pit spot check-in for World's Toughest Mudder. Yeah, I, it's not that hard to. I, I mean, the big thing would be to make sure the online grid you create is matching the actual reality <laughs> on the ground. That's like the hardest part. Um, Could you imagine that shit show if everybody thought they had a spot and then they showed up and it was totally different? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess we'll see what Atlanta looks like and 
if you're listening to this and you do World's Toughest and they don't do that this year, start putting it in the survey because I think that would be cool. And because I, I know they read those surveys, uh, so yeah, mm-hmm. keep hammering at home and you can play in long enough. This you squeaky wheel loud enough, eventually someone <laughs> listens. And um, you know, I think you've you've seen tough, World's Toughest Mudder grow already, right? We went from you know it was like. I don't know how big the first year was, but it's been growing a little bit every year. And this past year, it was 1,600 athletes. And you can see the course, you can see the changes in the course because there's so many people. You know, instead of just doing the first hour obstacle free, they did the first hour completely obstacle free. And then they started like a rolling start for the other obstacles. And the reason for that was just the number of athletes on the course. They didn't want lines. Uh, so they, you know, they adjusted how they run business. So you know, the sport's yeah. still new at six years. Or seven, actually seven events into World's Toughest. I'm sure we'll, you know, in ten years it'll it'll look very different from what it does right now. And for anyone who thinks it was a little, you know, they show up and they're like, oh, it's disorganized. It was phenomenal. Anyone who goes to big events or has ever been a part of putting something together, they do a phenomenal job. There's always little spots you can improve. Um, and, and that's just straight up. That's just not comparing it to the past. But if you compare it to the past. And you said, hey, where is it started from? Like anyone that was at the first one, because I was, we didn't know what we were doing, and they didn't know what they were doing. And I probably have more stories from the first World's Toughest Mudder because of that. Um, Everybody freezing. They were checking to make sure we weren't dead in our tents um, because we couldn't have a pit crew, but it was so cold they were worried about us. Um, just, Just silly stuff, you know. Basically, every obstacle was a water obstacle, even though in the rules they said if you made the obstacles, you would stay relatively dry. So, um, fun stuff. Yeah, no. Hopefully, we won't see that in Atlanta. We had one year in Jersey where that first year where the water obstacles were starting to freeze over any of the small little bodies of water because no one was out on the course because we all DQ'd from or DNF'd from being hypothermic so no one was out there to break and stir up the water and it was cold enough where you got that little thin layer on top so anyone unlucky enough to go through would jump in and get hit in the face with ice chunks nice yeah good stuff i I second that they they really do a phenomenal job like i don't think i think sometimes it's really easy to be fall into your own mindset and be like oh why is this taking so long or why is this not the way it is and it's like they've got 1600 people coming through here all trying to check in basically simultaneously, you know, and and not only that, they're they're demanding that they have the right size in their T-shirt, and you know they're trying to buy merchandise and trying to set up their pit space, and you know it's like there's like a thousand things going on. There's people trying to you know exchange registrations and change categories and blah blah blah. You know, like I can't even imagine the headache they have to deal with on race day. So definitely definitely yeah. a lot of props to them. Absolutely, they they do a great job, and actually going back to world's toughest it's i've been busy trying to to build what i do at noob sandy just from our events and our training um but it was one of the first tough mutters i was able to make it back in a couple of years and and i can honestly say i i do miss the the community that they have there um it, it was fun i mean to to be running the course and to be next to some of the top elite guys and see them turn back to help the next person you know, myself to to be someone who could turn around and ha- help the next group of people, no matter who it was. I mean, that's that's 
what Tough Modern World's Toughest is about. So um, definitely I'd miss that. I'll definitely be at more Tough Mudders this year. I want to try to make it out to the Midwest, try one of your Conquer the Gauntlet races. Yeah, come um, on out. I, I know I, I said I appreciated um, OCR Worlds making sure that at least some of the pro people fail, and I wish they did more of that. So I've heard that's what happens at Conquer the Gauntlet. And oh, yeah, they absolutely. have some really cool, unique, tough, challenging obstacles. And um, who knows, maybe you'll see a few Noob Sandy people out at one of them this year. Yeah, that would be great. If we had a Kansas City one, I'd invite you to stay at my house. But there's no Kansas City one on the schedule this year. What What's the closest What's the closest one? Oh, uh I don't even know. It's like it's basically a Is line. There one in Tulsa. Yes. There's basi- okay. there's basically a line running down the center of the country with races. Oh, the, the easiest one for you to get to will probably be Dallas because it's a flight hub if you want to fly. Okay. Well, I was thinking I I know some people Texas. I know Texas. Yeah. Um so da- Dallas people down there and then for as much as I was ripping on Tulsa, Oklahoma before the podcast, <laughs> don't don't hate me conquer the gauntlet. I just I had to go there in college for college track meets because we were in Conference USA and we run against Tulsa, and we were convinced there was nothing to do there. And we figured the reason that they school mascot was the Golden Hurricane was because there was always a 20 mile an hour wind coming into your face on the front stretch when you were trying to finish. So um, you can tell how much I love Tulsa, but maybe if I did a conquer the gauntlet there, it would change my mind. Yeah, I haven't had a since I've been on the pro team. Like I haven't, you know, lost my belt. We have belts instead of bands at a CTG mm-hmm. race, but I have messed up where I get stuck at an obstacle for, and I basically knock me out of podium position. So it, it definitely happens even even to you know, a lot of the athletes on the team. You know, you if you're having an off day or the course is a little bit wetter than usual, or you know, I haven't recovered from one of my stupid ultra things. Uh, sometimes, sometimes the day goes poorly for me. Right. Jarrett shows up in trip seven. I mean, just yeah. it could be anything. It could be anything. Well, that sounds awesome. I would, hopefully I can make it out to one of those this year. Cool. Well, uh, we're going to get going. Uh, before we finally take off, any final shout-outs you want to give? Um, just final shout-outs to the Noob Sandy crew up here. Um, I'm super proud of our group, not just the athletes that are competing for podiums, but all of our athletes that compete, I think we have a really amazing culture up here. And for anybody who is ever in the Northeast, feel free to check us out. You know, with it being in my backyard, I am passionate about OCR. And if you take the time to message me and say you want to check it out, I'll make time to make sure we can get you on the course. And for anyone that is doing the Mud Run Guide voting, make sure you vote vote for noob sanity for best small race series and there's also some other guy what's his name evan is, is that his name that writes articles that you should probably vote for him too that's true i'm not sure when i'm putting this out so voting may be closed by the time this comes out oh well in that case i would like to thank everybody for um our landslide victory <laughs> <laughs> and if if we didn't have a landslide victory I would like to protest to Mud Run Guide for their faulty servers. I'm sure we had a landslide victory and you weren't counting them from Binghamton, New York, or something like that. All of our overseas fans probably didn't count. Yeah, that's that's uh, definitely it. That's definitely it. So yeah, we, if 
if we don't win, you can just add a little disclaimer in the notes here about all the made-up reasons why we didn't win, um, and that will be applicable to both Noob Sandy and to you. That sounds good to me. That sounds good. Fair. Well, Jared, again, thanks for coming on the podcast. It was great talking to you, and we will hopefully see you at some point this year. Sounds good. Happy racing. <laughs>